Thanks for joining us today. Our church exists to give everyone, everywhere, every reason to know Jesus. You can learn more by connecting with us on Facebook at Journey Fellowship Denton. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy today's message. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Take your Bibles out and turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 11. Praise the Lord. John chapter 11, verse 25. I want to bring to you a message this morning entitled, All Eyes on Easter. We're going to talk about the eyes that are looking on Easter today. John eleven twenty five 25 gives a little bit different type of an eye. It's just a singular eye, the letter I. Verse 25 says, And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. Let me just say that one more time. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will live even though they die. Lord, take your word today and I pray that you challenge to our hearts. Apply it, Lord, to us and let us leave here, Lord, with a freshness of thought, of attitude, and of hope on this Easter Sunday. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. Do I have any steak eaters in the room this morning? Any steak eaters? Good hearty amen on that. Are there any steak eaters in the room who, you are the true carnivore, um, you like that steak rare, like it's mooing when it comes out of the, out of the kitchen, anybody, raise your hand, right? come on, let's see it, let's lift it up high, you are a true, can I just say, you're true steak eaters, okay, you are a true meat eater, all right, how about you, you, you don't want to take it that far, but you do like to have the moistness of a steak, you'll, you'll take it when they ask, I want mine medium, any medium steak eaters, okay, so the, the large majority are medium steak eaters, are there anybody who likes their steak turned into cardboard like my wife, anybody, raise your hand, raise your hand, you're a well done person, you're well done, I want that thing char, char broiled until it's nothing, you have to cut it with a chainsaw, that's what I want, that's the kind of steak. That right there, my friend, that's not steak. Just go to just go to you know Walmart, cut you up some cardboard and toast it, and it'll be just the same. Everybody has a different view as far as steak goes. And over the past 25 years of ministry, what I have realized, I've come to know a lot of things. I've learned a lot. I've learned a lot about people. I've preached numbers of Easter sermons and Easter messages. And what I have found is that there are always three types of people in every church service. On any given Sunday, there are three different types of people that are going to show up to a church service, and they're going to be a part of the service. They're going to be a part of the worship time. And Easter is no exception. And this morning, I want to talk to you about the different eyes upon Easter, because in this room, there are three different types of people that are going to be listening to what I have to say. You've been participating in our worship. You've participated in in watching the girls do their sign language thing. You're, you, you come in with three different sets of perspectives. The first perspective, and this first set of eyes is this, is the eyes of a 
of a skeptic, okay? Basically, what this whole idea is, is that the story of Easter, the story of Scripture, it's really not that, it's really kind of a fairy tale. It's not true, okay? When you boil it right down, it's not true. And most of the time in your life, you just dismiss, you dismiss the Scripture, you dismiss church, uh, because what you have to say, or what, what I'm going to say, really just, it's ancient news, okay? Then you have another group of people, and I know that there's some skeptics in the room. Then there's another group of people who are in the room, and, and you are the hopeless, okay? Now, I don't mean that you uh, look hopeless, all right, and there's no help for you. I mean that you just have this eye, you look at the story of Easter with just hopelessness in your life, and your look is this. It doesn't matter what he says, it really can't make a difference in my life. It's not that I don't believe or I want to believe what he has to say or I wish what he was saying was true or all this Jesus is alive stuff would really make a difference in my life. It just doesn't make a difference. It doesn't matter what you say. It doesn't matter what the church does. My life is my life and it's super complicated and it's really not going to have any impact on my life at all. And then you have the faithful. And to you who are hearing me this morning, if you're a part of that group, that that perspective, those eyes that you see this Christmas, or this Christmas, this Easter story. <laughs> you see that Easter story with those type of faithful eyes. Let me just tell you something. That story and this Easter, it's all that matters to you, really. You don't care who's standing next to you when, when uh, Bridget says, let's give the Lord praise. You just hoop and holler, and you raise your hands, and you clap, and you just enjoy church, and you enjoy everything, and you enjoy the Word. And because everything that I have to say, it all matters because the story about Jesus is the direction of your life. That's, it's, it is the defining thing in your life. Everything that you do, you say, you think, what you, what you, how you live, it all comes out of this story and this book, and that's all that matters to you. You're the faithful. So those three groups of people are in this room this morning. Skeptics, those who are hopeless, <laughs> and those who are faithful. And this morning, what I want to do is I want everyone to take away something. So like that steak, I want to give every group, every person who is here, no matter who you are, I want to give you something to chew on today. I want to give you something to take home. So I'm going to speak to all three of you this morning. Let's talk to the skeptic first. You're here today because it's a holiday. Just like Ramadan to a Muslim, just like Passover to a Jew, you're an American and you happen to live in Texas, so it is an honorary obligation that requires you an honorary trip to church on Easter Sunday morning. That's just what we do. That's how you do it. That's life. Maybe you're here because family got you here. They told you that part of the, the Easter weekend is, is getting together and, and church is on the agenda, but the, but the bonus part of it is that we're going to feed you and give you a free meal after church. The kids are all going to get to hunt Easter eggs, and, and that's just a, a part of the, of the whole weekend. But really, you being here is more of an obligatory role. You are here, and that's just the way it is. Because Easter and Jesus and the resurrection, it doesn't really interest you at all. The Scripture is not that big a deal to you. The songs that we're saying, we're saying, you know, I mean, you can get that just playing your radio. You're really not interested in anything that really has to, has to do with God because you just don't believe in that religious stuff. 
to you the sin story, big fairy tale. It's just a, a big made-up ball of, of religious jargon. So let me just talk to you first, if you're here. Let me talk to you. I'm not going to try to cover this book from cover to cover. Everybody said amen to that. I'm going to narrow the story down to you, to just the resurrection, just the subject of the day. I'm going to narrow the story down to where I want you to have an open mind to what I'm going to share with you. I want you to just open your mind. If you're here and you're a skeptic and you say, you know what, this is all just kind of, you know, everybody just kind of makes this whole church thing, but it really, it really, it's, it's not even true. I would you just like for you just to take a few moments and open your mind and let me just give you some reasonable proofs about the resurrection. The first thing is this. The reason why the resurrection is true is because of the first proof is the empty tomb. The empty tomb. Now, many skeptics would say, well, you know, the Jews or the Romans, they came and they stole the body of Jesus. They did that. Well, my question is, is why would they do that? What motive would they have? Wouldn't that play into the validation of Jesus' claims himself when he said, I am not going to, to stay dead. I'm going to rise again. Why would they do that? Well, then if it wasn't the Jews or the Romans, then it must have been his own disciples. I mean, they had all the motive, all the reasons. Well, let me ask you a question. Seriously, you're going with the disciples? They were too cowardly. They were way too, too afraid. I mean, when the crucifixion took place, what'd they do? They all went into hiding. They were scared to death. So for them to steal the body of Jesus, number one, it would take courage. And number two, they had to overpower the Roman guards that Pilate put in front of the tomb. Now, if you know anything about the scriptures and if you've read any of the stories, you'll realize that they weren't very good fighters. Peter was not very good with a sword. He aimed for a guy's neck and just got the ear. He's not very good. Not going to be a great sword fighter. Peter, James, and John, give them a fishing pole and they'll outfish you, but give them a sword, they're going to lose. Why would they steal the body? They couldn't have done it anyway. Besides, the burial clothes that they found inside the tomb, they were laid neatly. Now, that's not the, something, that's not the plan of a grave robber that's going to spend a whole lot of time holding up the clothes of the body he just stole. One of the proofs, my friend, if you have an open mind that Jesus is no longer dead, but he's actually alive, is that the tomb is empty. The tomb is empty. And it took some extraordinary event for that to happen. The Bible gives the explanation. The Bible says it was the power of God. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19, it says that, that this was the working of His mighty strength, which He exerted in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly realms. It wasn't grave robbers. It wasn't the Jews. It wasn't the Romans. It wasn't the disciples. It was the power of God that raised Jesus from the dead. That's why the tomb is empty. So if you're a skeptic this morning, that's proof number one. The second proof is this, is that the first witnesses that Jesus appeared to were women. Can I get all the ladies with an amen right there? God chose the women to appear first. Now, let me just tell you why that's a big deal. If you're a skeptic, if you're an author and you're writing the story, you want it to be believable, right? Well, in the ancient world, women were not viewed as very reliable sources. Matter of fact, they weren't even allowed to testify in court. 
because they weren't viewed as reliable people, reliable sources, their stories. They weren't viewed that way. If you wanted to write a story about an empty tomb and a grave that's going to be believable, you're going to go find an upstanding, respectable man that's going to deliver the story. And what do the writers write? That Jesus appeared to Mary Magdalene and a group of ladies. Now, if you think about it, this is genius on God's part. Genius, absolute sheer genius. Because, think about it, if you want the message, a very important message to get out to the world as soon as possible, what greater group are you going to use than tell a group of women? Right? You tell a group of ladies and, and the message is going out, sheer genius, God, you are awesome. He tells a group of ladies, the first witnesses. What an incredible thing. A a third proof is this. The disciples all of a sudden had this newfound courage. This newfound courage. Think about it. After the crucifixion, like I said, the followers of Jesus, they went into hiding. They feared they were going to be the next ones hanging upon a cross. The next ones flogged by the Roman whip. The next ones who would be who would be beaten and bludgeoned to where they're almost unrecognizable. But something extraordinary must have happened that turned their fear into courage. It had to be some external force because human nature is that we don't usually change unless there is a major influence in our life. You people like routine. I like routine. Almost every morning, I go to Brahms. There will be a Brahms in heaven, I'm just telling you. I order the same thing. I order it so often that the little lady that stands at the door, when she sees my red truck flash in front of the glass at Brahms going around to the driveway, she says, good morning, pull to the second window, please. I don't even have to order anymore. I like routine until a force outside of me exerts something that i need to change usually my wife and then i'll order something different but people are we like routine well the disciples were were scared they were afraid and when they saw the resurrected christ they stopped hiding They got out of their houses. They began to tell people that Jesus was alive. I mean, think about it. All of a sudden, they're out telling people Jesus that was dead on the cross is now alive. Why would you do that? Well, when the guy on your team has already beat death, what's the worst thing that they're going to do to you? Kill you? Yeah, see if that sticks, Peter said. You have this newfound courage. Another another proof, my skeptical friend, is that there were incredibly changed lives. James, for one, James, not the Apostle James, but James, the brother of Jesus, grew up with Jesus. Can you imagine having Jesus as an older brother? Just, Just having Jesus in the house. Think about that. Jesus is your brother, all right? You know, they're all out swimming in the pool one day, James yells, hey, mom, Jesus is doing that thing on the water again. (laughs) 
James goes downstairs, looks through the, the pantry, looks in the refrigerator. Hey, Mom, Jesus ate all the cereal. Jesus is upstairs. He yells, hey, James, go check the box again. You'll get it later. I know some of you are a little bit it's early. I mean, what an incredible thing. He grew up with Jesus. James was a skeptic, his brother. Jesus, my brother, the Messiah? Are you kidding me? No way. Jesus, was, Jesus lived with James. James, his brother, was a skeptic, just like some of you. He was skeptical of Jesus and all of his claims. He stayed kind of off into the distance. But after Jesus' crucifixion, and after his resurrection, all of a sudden, James transforms the brother of Jesus. He's not that skeptic anymore. Something happened to this guy. As a matter of fact, he goes on to be the leader of the church in Jerusalem, the biggest, most powerful church in the entire area. The same guy that was skeptical of his brother. Something happened. I'm going to tell you what happened. He saw the resurrected Savior. He saw Jesus come back to life. He saw the one who came out of the tomb. It radically changed him. Friends, you can be skeptical all day, even be, a, even be a brother in the house, but when you see Jesus alive in the flesh, it will change you. That's what happened to James. You have all of the other eyewitnesses. 500 eyewitnesses saw Jesus at one time. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, you can see the whole list. Paul says this. He says he, says he saw 500 people saw him at the same time. He saw, Peter saw him. Uh, some women saw him. He appeared to the 11 disciples. He appeared to a couple guys walking down the road to Emmaus. Jesus made all of these different appearances. And in 1, John, or 1 Corinthians chapter 15, uh, the apostle Paul writes this. He says this. He says, all of these saw Jesus and some of you are still alive. Now here's a question for you. Why would the apostle Paul write something that he knew someone still alive could refute every bit of it? Because it was true. Because it was true. It was absolutely true. Matter of fact, the same guy that wrote that, his conversion was, was a proof in and of itself. The Apostle Paul was an incredible uh, persecutor of the church. He hated Christians. He, he wanted to kill as many of, of them as he possibly could. And one day, as he had orders to execute another Christian on his road on the road to Damascus, Jesus, in the flesh, appears to Paul, knocks him off of his horse, and all of a sudden his eyes go completely blind. This great persecutor, this historical fact of this man named Saul of Tarsus, all of a sudden he's transformed to be the greatest missionary in all of history. After five floggings, three beatings, three shipwrecks, one stoning, poverty, and years of ridicule, Paul preached a resurrected Christ. How and why? Because he saw a resurrected Savior. And finally, just think about it. All of these, they all died. Eleven of the original disciples all died martyrs' deaths. I can think of nothing more foolish than to die for a lie that you knew was a lie. How many people would die for a lie? Nobody that I know of that has any sense at all is going to die, go to death because they're trying to protect a lie. My skeptical friend, listen to me. There is more proof that Jesus is alive 
than I have time for this morning. A French philosopher once told a, was belittling this English writer. His name was Auguste Comte. Some of you may have read him. But Comte suggested that he would start a religion his own to replace Christianity. To which the British writer replied, very good. He said, all you need to do is live a perfect life and a sinless life. Be crucified, rise again on the third day and get the world to believe that you're still alive. And then your new religion just might have a chance to work. And that's true. Because there's no religious belief system in the world that can catch or match the claims of Christianity and be backed up by all the historical factual data that you will find in the true story of Jesus Christ buried and rose again. You're just not going to find it. So my skeptical friend, your dilemma is this this morning. If part of it is true, then all of it is true. If Jesus is alive, then he said what he said about himself is absolutely true. Who he said he was is true, and you're accountable to those words today. Let me move on to my friend who is here today who may feel hopeless. You're here today because it's like watching a movie you've seen numerous times before. It just plays over and over. You could preach my sermon because you've heard a lot of Easter sermons. You could sing some of these Easter songs because you've heard them before. Easter is a been there, done that kind of a day for you. No big deal. Maybe you're here today and that was one time in your life where you thought faith in Jesus might happen. Maybe you grew up. Maybe things got complicated for you in your life. Maybe big decisions or, or things happened. Maybe it was things that you couldn't help. You wish that, that, that it would have worked for you. You wish that, that it, it could have made a difference, but you just never made the connection between the story of resurrection from an empty tomb to your life. Maybe in your life you experienced tragedy. Maybe you lost somebody. Maybe you got sick. Maybe you have a hurt, a deep hurt. Maybe your marriage dissolved. Maybe you just can't overcome. And at that point, you just lost hope in the whole story. Let me just speak to you for just a moment. I want you to understand that you can know the story of the resurrection and still not know the Jesus of the story. You can't just be familiar with the resurrection story. You can't just be familiar with Jesus. Routines. You have to experience Jesus. You have to experience the one who is. Know him for yourself. Not the story that your mom tells you, or your grandmother tells you, or your grandfather lived in. Just know the story. You have to know the one who is the center part of the story. It's like in Luke chapter 24. There's two men walking on the road to Emmaus. Same day that Jesus had risen, that morning, this afternoon, all of a sudden, and the same day, two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. And as they walked along, they were talking with every, about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them, but God kept them from recognizing him. He asked them, 
What are you the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard of all the things that have happened there the last few days? Jesus asked. The things that happened to Jesus of Nazareth, they said his body was missing and they had seen angels who told them Jesus was alive. Disciples, they were there. They saw things. They heard things. They remembered what Jesus point because what could say was we hoped there was even the scripture says in verse 17 that there was that there was sadness written across their faces we thought it would be different we thought things would just work out we thought we thought that that life would 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 just work itself out because i mean we knew the story we saw we heard everything we grew up with this i mean i grew up in church and i thought things were just going to be different for my life you see the cross had not destroyed their love for Jesus, but it had killed their hope. Things that just, Jesus would, would fix my marriage and really make it work. Good. just didn't work out. I had hoped that, that the Lord would heal my grandmother. I'd prayed so hard. I had really hoped that that, that was going to be the end of the story, that, that she's going to come out of the hospital and she's going to be fine. But it didn't work out that way. I'd hoped that the Lord could free me from that addiction that I have that no one else really knows. I really hoped I could get over it, move past it still eats at me and gnaws at me, controls me. These guys, they didn't have anything but memories. All they had was memories of what could have been, and that left them hopeless. And there's a lot of people in the world just like that. You know the story of Jesus, my friend. But you still sit hopeless. Your hope's not in Him, it's it was, in a, it was in just a story, and you, you hoped things would work out, and it didn't work out that way. And you failed to see any future, no way to move forward past it. Thank goodness that that's not the end of the story. In verse 30, it says, And as they sat down to eat, Jesus ended up going to their house. As they sat down to eat, he took the bread, and he blessed it, and then he broke it, and he gave it to them. And verse 31 says, And suddenly their eyes were opened. At that moment, each other, didn't our hearts burn within us as as he talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures to us? And within the hour, they were on their way back to Jerusalem, and they found the the 11 disciples and the others who had gathered with them and who said, The Lord has really risen! The story is true after all! It's real. It's real. I know it's real because I saw him. We we engaged him. We broke bread with him and something happened inside of us. Our hearts began to burn. It wasn't just a story we had here. It moved from here to here. It changed us from the inside. And I'm telling you, friends, he is alive because it's in here. 
He changed me. Our hearts burn. Friend, listen, if you're hopeless today and you say, oh, I've tried that Jesus thing before. I've tried to be a, be a part of a church before and it didn't work out. Life got complicated. Friends, listen to me. It's not just a story of something that happened 2,000 years ago. It's not just something that we sing about on an Easter Sunday morning. It's not something that I just get up and read so that I can get some kind of hype out of you. My friends, it's about the truth that Jesus died and he was buried and he is now alive and he rose again because it's here it's here it's not just a story to me and it doesn't have to be just a story to you I don't stand up here and tell you about Easter being a past event Easter is an everyday event Shannon and I, through some of the most terrible, trying times of our life, when it felt like that we just had no option but to give up. Anybody ever been there besides me? You just want to give up. Seems like life, everything is like you're standing in a wind turbine and it's blowing right against you. Everything is pushing against you. It's in those moments that you encounter God. When you encounter him and it does something, it's, it, it becomes more than just words on a page. It becomes an encounter with him. I encourage you, listen to me for just a moment. Listen. Some of you grew up in church and you heard the Sunday school teacher or you heard a class or you heard the preacher preach and you've heard all of these stories. You, you remember some of the parables, but it stayed here. And it never moved any further. And now you're grown and you're an adult. And you remember those stories and you remember those things. And you wonder why it never worked. I can tell you why. Because the Bible makes it plain. That salvation is not a mental ascent. Salvation is a humbling moment where you humble yourself before God and you say, Lord, I not only believe you in my mind, but I surrender you my life. It's an emotive thing, and it's also a volitional thing where you give yourself to the Lord and you say, it doesn't matter. Whatever comes, if I know Jesus is alive, That means I can have hope. And if I believe that, if I believe that Jesus is alive, I can move from a story to a Savior. I can move from it doesn't really make a difference to I can be healed. I can be restored. I can be blessed. I can be set free. I can be used. I can be forgiven. I can be changed. And hopelessness flees from your life. You can have hope again. The story hasn't changed. You've changed. Let me finally conclude with this. Let me talk to those who are the faithful in the room. Today's a high spot on your calendar. I circle Easter every year when I get my calendar. I just I put a big red X on it. Circling it. That's 
I love it. This past year has been filled with so many disappointments. It's been filled with so many different changes. You know it. I know it. Lots of heartache. Lots of pain. But if you're the faithful and you're listening to me this morning, you came in your Sunday clothes, dressed up, ready to sing, ready to worship, ready to hear, ready to, ready to celebrate. Because in life, you know this. You know that you've won sometimes and you know that you've lost some. But for you, your faith is all that really matters. There's been times when you've made good money and then times when you didn't have anything to make. There's been times when everybody in the family was getting along and then there's been times when nobody wanted to see each other at all. But for you, your faith was the rock. Because it was, a, it was like the compass that was stuck. It was in one direction, and that's all that mattered to you. Because Easter defines your life. More than just Easter. You can't imagine any other way to live besides following Jesus. You've walked out of your own tomb. You walked out of your own sin at some point in your life. You walked out of that, of that tomb of addiction. You walked out of that tomb of of depression. You walked out of that tomb of unforgiveness. You've walked out of that tomb of bitterness. And you see what a resurrection risen Christ can do to somebody. Because it's not somebody else's story. It's your story. Easter is your story. Of I have been changed. I am now alive with Christ. You've personally experienced a resurrection life. And good times, bad times, this year, last year, next year, you're going to serve Him. It doesn't matter. You're all in. Nothing's going to change your mind. As you can tell, I fall into that category. As do many of you. Why? Well, it's because of its guarantees. Jesus is alive today, and that guarantees one thing. It guarantees this. It guarantees that Jesus claimed to be who he said he was, who he was. Jesus is exactly who he says he was. Jesus claimed to be the Messiah, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, and that's exactly what he, what he is. You see, the cross was nothing but mission accomplished. And in Romans chapter 4, it says that he was handed over to die because of our sins, and He was raised to life to make us right with God. Why did Jesus come? Jesus came so that He could fix our miserable, sin-filled life. Jesus came to restore relationship between you and your Creator, the God who made you. You're not just some accident that washed up on the shore one day. You were created in the image of God and God created you so that he might have fellowship with you and to love you and so that you could express love back to him. But because of sin, there was a gap in that relationship. No communication, nothing. But Jesus came and he said, I can restore that communication. It's going to take a perfect sacrifice 
a sinless life. It's going to take the blood of, of, my, of, of someone who has never sinned in order to correct it. And what does Jesus do? He goes to the cross. He gives up his life. And he not only gives his life up, he doesn't stay dead hanging on the cross. He doesn't stay buried. He said, look, it's not just about the sacrifice. It's about living and moving forward. And Jesus comes out of the grave. Everything that Jesus claimed, the resurrection proves. And so that's why when he says in Romans chapter 10, if you confess your sin, he is faithful and just and will forgive you your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Saved from what? Saved from yourself. Saved from tearing your life apart, destroying your marriage, messing up your kids. Saved from yourself. We're saved from us. And Jesus' resurrection declares He is exactly who He claims to be. It's a guarantee. He guarantees us this. The resurrection guarantees us that there is life after death. I've walked through a lot of old cemeteries. Like old cemeteries where... There's tombstones and it says, you know, born 1798, died 1850. You walk through those cemeteries that are like that and the only thing that's left is just the name. No one who even knew that person is even alive. That person certainly is not alive. Most of the family members are gone. The family is so extended now that they can't even remember that individual. You have to get on Ancestry to even find out that you're related to the guy and you know nothing about him. It's almost as if he never lived. Now stop and think about that. Fast forward 150 years from today and let's look at your life. What will we remember? Will we remember your job, what you did? Oh, we might have an occupation on a census form. Will we remember, uh, you know, your favorite hobby and your pastime? Well, only if you wrote a journal religiously or somebody wrote a book about you. But for most of us, in 150 years, most people won't even know that we walked on this planet. I hate to bust your bubble. That's the reality of life. Will it matter what degree you had, how much money you had, what your address was, what car you drove? No, nobody's going to care. Nobody's going to even know. But what the resurrection proves is that the cemetery is not the last parking spot. That's not where it all ends. The resurrection proves that there is life after death. John chapter 14 says, Soon the world will no longer know me, Jesus says, or see me, but you will see me because I live and you also will live. Let me tell you, there's more to life on the other side than there is to live for on this side. I'm reminded of the story of a little elderly couple. They died in their sleep together. And so they were Christians and they went up to heaven found St. Peter. Peter walked him down to their mansion and the elderly gentleman said, wow, look at that. What a beautiful place. He looked over at Peter and he said, so how much does this place cost tonight? He said, oh, sir, listen. 
this, this is completely free. You're in heaven. It's, it's, it's free. You get to stay here, no charge. Wow, that's incredible. All of a sudden, they usher him over to the table, supper with the lamb, with, with Christ. He looks at Peter down the row, and he says, hey, how much is this meal going to cost me? Oh, sir, you remember I told you you're in heaven. It's free. It's not going to cost you anything. He gets up, he begins to hear, and his wife just kind of start walking around through heaven and just noticing all the different things. And he comes and stumbles up on this beautiful, plush, green golf course. Perfectly manicured. Everything is in order. And he looks at Peter and he says, what about this? He said, oh, sir, I just want to just remind you, that there's, there's, there's no green fees in heaven. You can play as much as you want. You can go... Get on the course whenever you like. This elderly gentleman, a little frustrated, he looked over at his wife and he said, you and all your health, food, and exercise, I could have been here 10 years ago. There's more to live for past this life, past the cemetery, past the funeral home. There is life after death. Jesus proves it. Let me tell you, friends, I want eternal life after death. Not eternal separation and damnation. I want eternal life with Jesus Christ. It comes because of the resurrection. Jesus conquered death. We've faced a lot of death this year. I buried two of my best friends within the last three years. Both of them in their mid-40s. Too early. Thankfully, on this Easter, I was reminded because I wake up. I woke up this morning, and usually, one of the one of those closest friends to me, he was a pastor down in Houston, and he would always every Easter he would send me a text, and he would say, "Happy Resurrection Sunday, Happy Easter, go get them." Every Easter, I didn't get that text this morning. I miss it. I miss it. Some of you, you miss those words. Of those who are gone. I remember years ago, I was preaching down in Central America. I was at a at a hospital. I was in a I was in an AIDS wing actually. As I walked down this little corridor where these patients were, I, I saw people with just hollow eyes. They were just hopeless. I began to pray for them and I began to lay my hands on them and I just, I hugged them and prayed for healing. It was a moving moment for me because as I wrapped my arms around them, I, I began to just ask the Lord just to give them hope again. And I began to tell them about Jesus and I began to tell them about the resurrection. I began to tell them that when Jesus resurrected, that he ensured for us that, that we would and we'd get new bodies one of these days. Free from sickness, free from pain. And that, and that one, one day in heaven that there would be no more funerals because death is going to be completely done. It's going to be over with. No more funerals, no more sadness, no more tears, no more crying. <laughs> I've never experienced quite that joy as I saw smiles come upon their face, I, I remember seeing their eyes just begin to, 
to light up as I told them. I saw hope come back to them because they knew that this wasn't the end. That the last story in the chapter of their life on this side may be that they passed away in a hospital room. But the next chapter that would be opened, they would be whole and complete with no sickness. Jesus' resurrection proves that he's conquered death. It's a guarantee. For those of you who have lost loved ones, they're not here this Easter. Can I tell you? All the more reason for you to celebrate Easter because if they died in Christ, you'll see them again. As long as you're ready, you'll see them again. Because Jesus has conquered death. I close with this. That resurrection that we sang about earlier guarantees Jesus is coming again. Just like I said. That's what the angels said the day that they were watching Jesus ascend into heaven. They said, hey, why are you standing here looking up into the sky? Because this same Jesus that went away, he's coming back. He's coming back. The first time Jesus came was in complete humility, a small child born to a poor group, a poor, poor couple in the middle of a desert land, thrown into a, into a stable where he was laid in a manger. But the second time Jesus comes, it won't be in, in that manner. The second time Jesus comes back, he's going to return in the grandeur and the splendor of a king. In the might and power, as the trumpet of God begins to sound, the fanfare is going to be tremendous. You think that you've seen some kind of parade or some type of, of, of event that's been just spectacular, even a concert? You haven't seen anything yet till Jesus comes back the next time. Jesus' resurrection ensures that that moment is going to happen. As a matter of fact, the writer of Acts, Luke, he says in Acts 17, For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. And he has given proof of this to all men by raising him from the dead. You got skeptical eyes. You got eyes that are hopeless. You got faithful eyes looking at Easter today. Everybody came with, with different backgrounds, different understanding. But I want to take you back to the I, the letter, the singular I that we read the very first scripture this morning in John chapter 11. Jesus said, I am the resurrection. No matter how your eyes look at Easter, no matter how if you're skeptical this morning, if, you're, if you said, yeah, I've been there, done that, tried that, didn't work, or if you're faithful and you just say, you know what, I'm hanging in no matter what, I am the resurrection, Jesus said. And I am the life. And anyone who believes in me never live. I am the life. Let's bow our heads this morning. As our musicians get ready to come, I just would like to take just a moment. We conclude our service today.
I want to ask you a very poignant question. I want you to be honest with yourself. You've heard me this morning, and maybe you were the skeptic sitting in the, in the crowd today. You say, you know what? I don't believe any of that stuff. You didn't come expecting anything. You didn't come to believe anything. You just came because it's Easter. It's what you do. I want you to know, believe it or not, this story has all has your name all over it. He loves you. Jesus gave his life for you. And all of the proof in the history of the books, the only proof that you need is to know that he did it all for you. If you're wondering if it's real, experience Christ in your own personal way and you'll find that it is real. You've been there and tried that. You're hopeless. You know, it's just a hopeless cause. Maybe that's you today. You you know what? I've tried that whole thing before. It didn't work out, you know, and now you're nowhere to be found. Let me just say this. Don't seek the story. Don't repeat back to just the story, but experience the Lord today. Experience Him. To the faithful, be encouraged today to know it's just another Sunday to celebrate our risen Lord. And someday that reward of a resurrected Savior is going to all be worth it. If you'd like for me to do this today, I, I, I want to pray for you. You say, Pastor, I'm not sure. I'm kind of checking this whole thing out. Not sure about it. Not sure about this faith in Jesus. I'm not sure about the whole Christian thing. But I'd like to I'd like to find out more. I'd like to know more. If you're here and you're totally honest, nobody's looking around, nobody's gonna be I want you to just raise your hand and say, Pastor, that's me. I I, I you know, something you said, maybe there is something to this. Is there anybody in the room who just lift your hand and say, you know what? Maybe there is something to what you have. Maybe there is something to this story. Is there anybody in the room who just be totally honest? Say, maybe there is. Maybe there is. Would you lift your hand right now? Would you just raise your hand? Let me pray for you right now. Anybody? Anybody in the room? I'm looking all over from front to back. Anybody in the room? Just let me pray for you today. Let today be a, a new moment. Yes, Yes, ma'am. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? Anybody else? Yes. Yes, sir. Yeah, maybe there is something to this. You're here today and you say, Pastor, would you, would you pray for me because I've been there, done that, and I just, I've fallen away from faith. I've fallen away. Life just got complicated. I know I'm not where I need to be, but you know the story. And somehow it's moved from your heart back up into your head and you don't live the story. You don't, you're not a part of the story anymore. You don't see a future with the story. You don't see Easter as a big deal anymore. It's not that big deal. If that's you, you you're not where you, know you need to be with God. You know the story. You know the right and you know what's wrong. Would you have the courage today to raise your hand and say, Pastor, would you pray for me? Pray for me. Help me to get right. Help me to get back where I need to be with God. Help me to help me to put myself back in the yes, sir. Thank you, sir. Anybody else? Yes, sir. Anybody else? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I see you. Just raise your hand. Look right at me. You're, you're coming back to the Lord today. Yes, sir. Yes, sir.
Him. You're coming back. Today is your day. You're going to move forward. You're going to forget not just the story. You want to experience Jesus today. Anybody else? Come on. Don't wait. Don't wait on another Sunday. This is a great Sunday to do this. You're going to come back to God. It's time. You're starting all over. It's a fresh start. Yes. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. Yay. Thank you. Anybody else? Come on. Anybody else? Before we move on. Before we move on. Anybody else? Don't wait. Don't wait. It's time to start all over. It's time to start all over. Anybody else? Would you stand with me, everybody, all over the room? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I want to pray for you before we go. Now, I know there's a lot of things that are going on today. Specifically, we have our food distribution today. Don't leave. Chris has some instructions he's going to give to you. We have our kids' supercharged Easter egg hunt. That's all after service. But right now, the most important thing that anybody in this room can do is to pray with me. All that stuff will wait. Today we're going to pray for that one of you who is, you know what, maybe there is something to this. We're going to pray that the Holy Spirit would continue to draw you. Don't wait. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Don't put it off. You're not guaranteed tomorrow, friends. Listen, if you're not right with God, there is such a thing as hell. And don't leave this place not knowing where your final destiny is going to be. If you're not close to the Lord today, you know you need a change. You raised your hand. You say, I'm coming back. I'm starting all over today. Make that prayer personal. I want you to pray with me this morning. And if you raised your hand today, I want you to be loud and proud when you pray. I read it earlier in John chapter 10 or Romans chapter 10. If you confess with your mouth, that means that you speak publicly, you speak openly. I have sinned. I have wronged God. I am not where I need to be. I have made mistakes. I know it. You speak it out your mouth. You confess it. The Bible says that he is faithful and he will hear your prayer. And he will forgive you and he'll cleanse you. And that's your new start. That's your fresh day. That's your resurrection. That's your coming out of the tomb. I want you to pray with me this morning in your own way. Father, I thank you, Lord, for this day. I thank you, Lord God, for every person who is here on this Easter Sunday. I thank you, Lord God, for the numerous faces, Lord, that I see, Lord, that both I know and I don't know. Lord, today I thank you, Lord, for your message, Lord God, that's true. Lord, it always has been true. It always will be true that, Jesus, you are alive. And because you were alive, Lord, you made the potential for us to become alive. Not lost in our sin, but alive in Christ. Lord, I pray for those, Lord, who are examining, Lord, Christianity, Christian faith, just looking at it, Lord, wondering if there's anything to it. I pray that your Holy Spirit right now, that, Lord, that your Spirit, God, would just begin to speak to their heart. Lord, I pray that you'd begin to challenge, Lord, every doubt that they have in their mind. That you would challenge, Lord, every thought that, Lord, goes against, Lord, the knowledge of God. That you would begin to confront that. And, Lord, that you would show yourself to them, Lord, even today. Lord, if they're not willing to even make that confession of faith today, that, Lord, they would be willing, Lord God, in the future to say, Lord, would you help me to come to that place? Lord, draw them to you 
And I pray, God, for those who are here this morning as they're praying, Lord, that they know that they're not right to meet you. Lord, they know that they're not right with God. They know the truth. They know the story. But, Lord, that's as far as it goes. They've not acted on it. It's just a story. Lord Jesus, transform their hearts today. May they confess, Lord, who they are and where they are. God, may they tell you, Lord, exactly where they are, Lord, in their life. And, Lord, I pray that your love would reach down and that you would hold upon them. Lord, that your grace, Lord Jesus, would cover their sin. Lord, flood them right now with your love and your grace and your mercy, Lord, and let them have a new start. In the name of Jesus, let your blood cleanse their life, Lord, from sin, Lord. Let let their hearts, Lord, God, be tenderized by the mercies of the Lord. And, Lord, may they accept you and a new walk, Lord. May they turn to you, Lord, and begin to walk, Lord, in repentance, Lord Jesus, following you from this day on. Let today, Lord, not just be another Easter, but Lord, let it be a beginning for so many. And Lord, we'll continue to sing about your amazing grace and your life. We honor you, we praise you, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. Let's give the Lord praise. There's been some folks that's been, lives have been changed this morning. Amen. Praise the Lord. Thanks for listening to this message. If you were blessed by this ministry, we want to encourage you to share it. And if you don't have a church home, come join us any Sunday at 1030.